We'll open your Bibles to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. Believe it or not, we only have six more passages until we reach the end of the Gospel of Mark. And it's, it's bittersweet, at least it is for me. It's, it's, it's sweet because we have the whole Bible to explore, but it's bitter because Mark has been particularly rich for me. I think one thing that is helpful to remember um, as we walk through these kinds of passages where you have a long narrative that, that's telling the story is, is to remember the, the purpose why they're, why they're here. The, the betrayal and crucifixion section of Mark is it's just that. It's a story. It's explanatory rather than, rather than prescriptive. These passages are are not like the Sermon on the Mount or or a parable, for example, that that's that's there to communicate a specific lesson. And so you're you're trying to figure out, okay, what's the what what's the point? That somebody's getting in the kingdom or or they're not. The, these passages tell the tell the story. They're written to tell us what Jesus accomplished and how he he accomplished it. I think this is one of the, the the sad results of the of the highly applicational preaching. We miss the worship of just listening to what God says, what He's trying to communicate. We're always trying to figure out what does this mean to me, and how do I fix my marriage with this? And do whenever the point of the passage is is God is fulfilling His promise through the person and work of Jesus Christ, and any Christian ought to be thrilled to hear about that, right? So we worship in a passage like this by seeing and hearing what Jesus did for us. This particular section before us is the Gentile or the the Roman trial of Jesus. Now, there's a lot going on in, in these few hours of the Lord's life. And when you look at all of the Gospels, you, you, can, you can weave together a tapestry of the story of all the different points, and I'll try to do that for you this morning. But we're going to end today primarily focusing on, on Mark's theme. What, why did Mark only put the details that, that he did, and what's his point? What's he trying to communicate about who Jesus is and what he accomplished for us? And, and if you've probably read or listened to the passage this morning and, and read some of the other Gospels about the crucifixion, you can tell that Mark doesn't give all the details. It's, it's his short, immediate, uh, concise way uh, of writing. And, and that's not his main goal. His main goal is not to give a, a running a tab of all of the details. His, his goal's been the same from the beginning. It's a... He wants to map out the salvation of the Son of God. That, that's how he starts his entire gospel in, in Mark 1.1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's his point. This is the good news about Jesus Christ. He's the Messiah, and he's the, he's the Son of God. And, and we're going to get to see how he, how he does that. And between the, the Jewish and Gentile courts... Jesus is examined a total of six times. This is the first, what Mark records for us, is the first of the the Roman or the the Gentile trial. Each trial has three phases. Jesus is before Annas, 
the former high priest, then Jesus is before Caiaphas in the Sanhedrin in the middle of the night, then Jesus is before the Sanhedrin in the morning, and then it goes to the Gentile side, Jesus before Pilate, then Jesus goes to Herod, and then Jesus comes back to Pilate where he's finally condemned, and, and that's what Mark reveals for us here. All six are kangaroo courts. The three Jewish trials look for guilt. They have a verdict beforehand, and they look for guilt. They find none. They condemn him anyway. The three Roman trials look for, for innocence. They find it, and then they condemn him anyway. All four of the Gospels, in all four Gospels, Jesus is shown both before the Jewish and Gentile trials to be innocent of all charges, except that he is the Son of God and he's the King of the Jews. That's why he's crucified. And that's important, because if he was crucified for any other reason, like the nonsense that Bill O'Reilly wrote in The Killing of Jesus, or the secularist that somehow this is a, a political thing that Jesus gets wrapped up in, it misses the whole theological point. Jesus didn't die in, in, as, a, as a seditious man. He died as the Son of God. In fact, the only questions that Jesus responds to before either platform, Jew or Gentile, are the questions that are accurate. And all the others, he keeps silence. He's silent before the Sanhedrin when there's a bunch of false witnesses that can't get their story straight and they're, they're accusing him of all manner of things. We heard him say he was going to destroy the physical temple and rebuild it himself in three days. He says nothing. But when they say... To him, tell us plainly, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? He responds, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with clouds of glory. And then they condemn him for blasphemy, claiming to be son, the Son of God. He's also silent before a marveling Pilate, as we heard in our passage today, when he's being asked about being seditious or refusing to pay taxes or a usurper to Caesar, Jesus says nothing. But when Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? He responds, it is as you say. And Pilate finally says, I find no guilt in him, but condemns him anyway as the rejected king of the Jews. He even puts that over his, over his cross as mockery. So he's condemned by, the, by, by Jewish law for blasphemy. He's prosecuted under Roman law for high treason, even though that's unproven. He's rejected as prophet, and he's rejected as king, and yet he does his high priestly work in that rejection from both of those condemnations. Both of them send him, they're part of sending him to the cross where Jesus does his, his work. And in both of these trials... You should hear the origin of 1 Corinthians. He is a stumbling block to the Jews and he is a, he's foolishness to the Greeks. That's the focus of this trial before the Gentiles. In fact, in his trial before the Gentiles, in all four Gospels, there is no verdict. There's no Roman laws broken. There's not even, even a a pronouncement of being guilty. In fact, it's just the opposite. Pilate declares Jesus is innocent of Roman law, washes his hands signifying he pronounces no judicial guilt. To the Romans, 
And to Pilate, Jesus is condemned as a fool. He's a joke. He's no king. He's mocked as one. He's weak. He's ridiculous. And they treat him as such. And in both trials, you can see exactly how religious and unreligious people will respond to the gospel today. Nothing's changed. To a religious person, whether a Jew, a Muslim, a Catholic, a Mormon, someone who who focuses on their religion, they stumble over Jesus theologically. They have no problem if you believe in Jesus, just as long as you don't tell them who Jesus is. They reject Him. The religious rejects Him as the Son of God or, or as a substitute for the religious work. They reject who He is and what He claimed to be. They, they know enough to know there is God, but they reject that that, that, is, that is Jesus. That's, that's why followers, that people that claim to follow Jesus, that deny the substitutionary atonement of Christ or accept abortion or affirm homosexuality or feminism or whatever it is, that, that, that's why they can do that. They empty the name of Jesus of all of its theology. They just change the definition of who He is. But you preach to a religious person, someone who's trusting in something other than the Bible and their works, you preach to them exactly what the Bible says about who Jesus is, and you'll watch them stumble over Him in, in, in some point. The non-religious finds the gospel foolish. An atheist, a moralist, an agnostic, they don't even play the religious game. They... The non-religious rejects Jesus and the Bible as foolish. The idea that God became man is just irrational. That God died for our sin is absurd. The idea that there is sin and they need a Savior is ridiculous. It's all nonsense. Something to be mocked. And that's exactly what you see in this Roman trial. That's what you're supposed to see playing out in both of these trials. The religious leaders, it's a, it's a response to blasphemy. The Gentiles, it's a response to foolishness. It's, it's all a joke. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, isn't He? You read these passages completely different, don't you? He is our joy. He's our treasure. He's the pearl of great price that leads us to, to forsake all other pursuits. And so we worship when we come to a passage like this. Let me give you the outline. I've outlined it with four stages of the Gentile trial. And I agree, after you get past verse 1, some of it is, some of the outline is, um, is arbitrary. After Jesus is presented, then he's interrogated, and then he's condemned, and then in verse 16 through 20, he's, you find, the, you find the, the mockery. So he's presented to Pilate in verse 1, he's then interrogated before the, the Roman trial, the Gentile trial, then he's condemned, and then he's mocked. And that's where we'll end. Let's look at the first one. There's the presentation to Pilate. Look, if you would, at verse 1 of Mark chapter 15. It says, Early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and scribes and the whole council immediately held a consultation. 
And binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Here's the presentation to Pilate. How does Jesus end up before, before Pilate? This is early in the morning during the, the fourth watch. It's somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. And Matthew says when morning came, so, so at daybreak, which is likely around 5 a.m. in the morning. Now we're reading all of this over weeks at a time, but, but it's important to remember that this happens over just a few hours, in a matter of hours. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane at midnight. He's arrested around 1 a.m. Between 1 and 3 is when the Sanhedrin trial takes place. Before Annas and then before Caiaphas, the same two hours between 1 and 3 a.m. is when Peter is also in tr- on trial in the, in the courtyard. At the end of that, the rooster crows at 3 a.m. From 3 to 5 a.m., Jesus is mocked and then he's held in this cistern dungeon in Caiaphas's house. Some of you have actually stood in that in that dungeon. We've read scripture there. But Jewish law requires a trial to be held during the day. And while it's it's illegal in a lot of cases, they they want to keep some semblance of of legality, so it's a formal setting, and so this is the final Jewish trial. This is the third one. Luke says the entire council convenes, and, and they ask Jesus the same question once it's daylight. If you're the Christ, tell us. And he repeats the same passage from Daniel, and then says, I am. It is as you say, I am. And they formally, uh, formally condemn him for blasphemy. And now they've got a problem that only Pilate can solve. Being under the authority of Rome, the Jewish Supreme Court cannot put Jesus to death. They, they don't have the legal right to put anyone to death. They admit that in John 18.31. This is the, the Supreme Court. And so they have to play by the rules, if you will. A mob could do something different. They could stone you. They could drag you out on the street. But this is the Jewish Supreme Court. The power of the sword, as it's called, capital punishment, rests only in the hands of Rome. So they have to go to Pilate to get Pilate to do their dirty work. And so that's why they take Jesus there. They wouldn't even have messed with him. In verse 1, says, They led him away and delivered him to Pilate. And that's exactly what Jesus said would happen. And in Mark 9... 8, 9, and and 10, you remember Mark 10? Look at the accuracy. Jesus says, Long before the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn Him to death. That's happened. They'll deliver Him over to the Gentiles. That is happening. And they'll mock Him and spit on Him and flog Him and kill Him. That will happen, and three days later He'll rise again. That will also happen, praise the Lord. So they bind him as a criminal, they lead him away, and at this point, this is when Judas, when they're, they're, maybe when they're watching him, when he's watching him be bound, this is when Judas regrets his role, throws the money back and says, I've betrayed an innocent man, and he goes out and, and he, he commits, commits suicide. This is somewhere around six in the morning, so all of it's happening very quickly. Jesus will be on the cross in about three hours. Mark does not record Judas 
He doesn't record what the approach to Pilate. He doesn't record Pilate speaking to uh, to the to the Sanhedrin or the leaders. He goes right to Pilate questioning Jesus. But I'll fill in the gap for you. Look at verse two. Pilate questioned him. That's Jesus. So they lead him away. He's delivered to Pilate. Pilate questions him. There's a big gap there. John eighteen records the his presentation to to Pilate and and the Jewish leader's hypocrisy. They condemn him at daylight, they lead him to Pilate, he's bound. And John says the Jews won't enter Pilate's palace lest they be defiled for Passover. They're already ceremonially clean. So they don't want to they don't want to step in inside of a Gentile structure. They're scheming to kill the the Son of God, but they're concerned about religious defilement. And Jesus said something about that as well. They gag on a gnat and swallow a camel. That's exactly how hypocrites work. They make a big deal out of something really small while they pass over the more weighty things of of the law. So when someone tells Pilate the Jewish Supreme Court is outside, he comes out to meet them, and instead of questioning the prisoner... He asked them a question, according to to John 18, verse 29. What accusation do you bring this man? They know why he's here. Pilate's probably aware of Jesus. I would think he is. But you see somebody being brought before the the magistrate, you know, bound. I mean, you know that it's, that it's, it's an issue. Rome doesn't care about religious objections. So he asks, why are you here? What's the charge? Rome only cares about keeping peace, and so Pilate asks a legal question. And the Jewish leaders answer with with indignation. This is really telling as well in John. John brings out all these little nuances about their hypocrisy. They won't step into to uh, under a Gentile roof lest they be lest they be defiled. And then when Pilate asks them a legitimate question about what's the charge, they say, "If this man were not an evildoer, we wouldn't have delivered him to you." They won't even answer the charge. And they're like, who are you to question? Of course, he did something wrong or he wouldn't have brought him to you. And the relationship between Pilate and religious leaders is not good. Neither one of them can stand each other. You might think of like, uh, you know, these, these little vignettes that you get at, at, in, the, in the news between Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, and Donald Trump in the Oval Office. That's, like, that's, that's the scene going on here. Neither one of them like each other, but they have to deal with each other. They put up with Pilate because he's Rome's representative, and Pilate has to put up with them because Caesar will hold accountable any governor that allows an uprising. The Jews aren't looking for another trial. They're looking for a sentence to be carried out. It's their sentence. We condemned him, you kill him. And so when Pilate calls their bluff, they they have to come up with, with a reason based on Roman law. And so then you have to go to Luke 23 to get that story. And so they accuse Jesus based on three, three issues. They tell Pilate he's misleading the nation, he's forbidding people to pay taxes to Caesar, and he's, he's saying he's king. So the legal accusation that they make is, is insurrection, tax evasion, and treason. That's what they bring Jesus before Pilate on. And now Pilate actually has to deal with it. And that's where Mark picks up in verse, in verse 2. 
So now you have the interrogation of Jesus. Look, if you would, at verse 2. With these three accusations that deal with Rome, Pilate questions him. Are you the king of the Jews? He skips over the insurrection and the tax evasion. He goes right for the treason one. Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him. Jesus answered him. It's a legitimate question. He is. It is as you say. And now you have another gap or a summary statement. The chief priest began to accuse him harshly. So Pilate asked the question. Jesus answers and then they launch all kinds of accusations. And you've got to go to the other Gospels to figure out why. Why, why are they so vehement at, at this moment? Mark focuses on three things. Pilate asks an accurate question. The Jewish leaders level many accusations, and then Pilate marvels at, at Jesus' silence. Verse 4, Pilate questions him again. Do you not answer? See how many charges they bring against you? What are the charges? We'll go to the other Gospels and hear that. But Jesus made no further answer. He doesn't answer because they're, they're bogus. And so Pilate was amazed. That's what Mark highlights for us. So Pilate asks, are you the king of the Jews? All four Gospels record that question. Are you the king of the Jews? Mark 15, Matthew 26, Luke 23, John, John 19, 18... And Jesus says, yes, I am. The Jewish leaders are presenting this as a matter of treason, and so they're hoping Pilate will condemn him. They're saying he's a king, and that's a challenge to Caesar. Even though they reject Caesar's rule themselves. (laughs) More hypocrisy. Pilate sees it as a religious matter, and after examining him, he he concludes, "I, I I find no fault in him. And at this point, the... The leaders see their plot slipping away, and that's what Mark means when he says they, they begin to accuse him harshly. They, they see the case. It's like the preacher who puts in his note, weak point, pound pulpit here. You know, if, you, if me thinks thou doth protest too much, that's what they're doing. They have no case, and so they, they ramp up the accusations. They, the idea is that they just continue. They, there's a flurry of them. And this is a dilemma for Pilate. He needs to keep the peace. It's getting heated. But in their accusation, Luke 23 shows us that he finds a way out. Luke 23 fills in the the details. I don't know if I have it or not. I don't. It says he stirs up the people, teaching all over Judea. This is one of their accusations, Luke 23, 4. He stirs up the people, teaching all over Judea, starting, originating in Galilee. Ah, Pilate says, Galilee. That's Herod's district. And he knows Herod is in town for the Passover. Convenient way. Let's kick it to another court. And so... Jesus is now sent to Herod, and that's the second trial. Mark says nothing about that. This is Herod Antipas, one of Herod the Great's sons. And he's heard about Jesus, obviously being from Galilee. He's heard about the miracles. Everybody's heard about Jesus. He hopes to see one. So Herod, it says, it looked at he's excited to see Jesus. Man, this is great, finally. I get to, I get to meet this guy. He hopes to see a miracle. Jesus does the same thing to Herod. 
He answers nothing. He does no tricks for him. And so Herod, is sorely disappointed, dismisses him, and he sends him back to Pilate in ridicule. He puts a fancy robe on him. He sends him back to Pilate, and, and that actually breaches the relationship between two un, ungodly, ungodly men. In verse 4, Pilate has Jesus back. So Pilate questions him again and says, Do you not answer? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so Pilate was, was amazed. And when that doesn't work, Pilate tries another angle. Here's the condemnation that finally comes. And Jesus is condemned as a fool. Ultimately, as the, the king of the Jews, which means nothing to Rome, they dismiss him as that, and he's foolish to them. Look at verse 6. It says, now at the feast, he used to release for them, that's for the Jews, Pilate used to release for the Jews one prisoner whom they requested. And Mark mentions a man named Barabbas, who was an insurrectionist, and he's a really bad dude, and he lays out some of his crimes. So Pilate returns from his quarters. He appears before the Sanhedrin again, who's now conveniently padded the crowd with their followers. Pilate says to them in, in Luke 23, I found no fault with him. I sent him to Herod. Herod finds no fault with him. He sent him back, obviously mocked. He, he's not going to condemn him. If, he would have, if Herod would have found fault, Herod would have condemned him. So Pilate offers to scourge Jesus. And let him go. In fact, Pilate makes three appeals to the crowd according to Luke 23. He appeals to them based on mercy. He appeals to them based on justice. And he appeals based on sympathy. And their three responses are exactly the same to all three appeals. Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. There are three questions by Pilate to the crowd, three responses from the crowd. In fact, there are threes all over the, the, the Passion story. Three prayers of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, three denials of Peter, three questions from Pilate to Jesus. And this first appeal is based on mercy. And you see that in verse 6. At the feast, he used to release one of the prisoners, somebody who's actually guilty. This is an appeal based on mercy. It's an offer to, to let Jesus go based on Paschal amnesty. Amnesty for the Passover. So, a Roman perfect would pardon and release one prisoner during the Passover holiday, and Pilate thinks this is a perfect way to fix the situation. And the crowd rejects Pilate's offers with cries of crucify him and give us Barabbas. Look if you would at verse 8. The crowd went up and began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. Pilate answered, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? He's trying to give him Jesus. Herod doesn't work, and so now he's stuck dealing with the, with the crowd and, and with, the, with, with the religious leaders. You, so perfect, do you want me to release to you Jesus? For he was aware that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. 
envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. This is the point in Matthew 27, this first appeal, where Pilate is before the crowd and his wife comes out and communicates to him, informs him she's, she's had a dream and you should have nothing to do with this man. And then Pilate's second appeal is based on justice. It's based on his innocence. You, you see that in Matthew 27. Matthew 27, verse 23. They all said, crucify him. And Pilate said, here's his, here's his question to the crowd. Why? What evil has he done? You want me to release, release him? Release the king of the Jews? Here's mercy. I'll, I'll give mercy. No, crucify him. Second appeal, what, what evil has he done? They kept shouting all the more, crucify him. He appeals to their sense of justice. He's done no evil. What, what evil has he done? And the crowd's only answer is, is an evil one. The final is the appeal based on sympathy. Mark 15, verse 15, simply says, wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Luke 23, verse 16, says Pilate presents this as an appeal. I will punish him, I'll have him scourged, and I'll release him. And John gives us all the details of that that scourging. In other words, Pilate's saying, I find no crime worthy to kill him. But to satisfy you, I'll punish him. Pilate then brings him back after scourging, and this is the passage that says, Behold the man. There he is dripping in blood after a Roman scourging, bruised and battered, having been mocked. And Pilate is hoping that this will engender some sympathy with the crowd, and Pilate is saying, is this enough? And once again, they cry, crucify him. Pilate declares, I find no guilt in him. Tries one more time to get them to release him. And John 19.7 records their response. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and by that law he ought to die because he made himself out to be the Son of God, and that's the real issue. The real issue is who Jesus claimed to be. He's the Son of God, and that's why they want him dead. Pilate makes one final appeal to Jesus out of fear. He takes Jesus back, according to John. Takes him back inside and says, where are you from? Do you, do you not speak? Jesus gives him no answer. John MacArthur said, Jesus gave him no answer. Those are sad words. When God has nothing to say to you, you've hardened your heart past the point of recovery. He doesn't speak any longer. And then Pilate says to Jesus, Do you not know I have the authority, I have the power to kill you and to let you go? He's saying, Work with me here. Do you not understand? 
And Jesus responds, you would have no authority unless it was given unto you. Pilate then comes back out before the crowd, makes an effort to release Jesus according to John 19.12, and that's when the elders sink in, the religious elders sink in the death knell. They accuse Pilate of treason. First they accuse Jesus of treason. He claims to be king. And when Pilate won't do what they want, they say, no friend of Caesar would release this man. Every king who opposes Caesar is a traitor. I mean, it's a threat. You don't want us to go to Caesar, do you? These are wicked, wicked men. And so Pilate capitulates. He takes the judgment seat. One more time to the crowd, Behold your king. They crowd away with him. Crucify him. Pilate to the religious leaders, Shall I crucify your king? In one final ditch to confound them. And the leaders and the crowd say, We have no king but Caesar. And so Pilate washes his hands in Matthew and declares, I am innocent of this man's blood. And he gives in to avoid a riot. Now don't take by this that Pilate is a good guy wanting to do the right thing. It's a situational ethics as it's called. He hated the Jewish leaders. This was not out of the goodness of his heart or justice. He wants to save his own skin. He says Jesus is innocent, but he gives him no justice. He has him abused for his own preservation. As one said, he's a calculating coward. And so at the washing of his hands, the people said, His blood be on us and on our children. And so Pilate finally pronounces the condemnation. That's in verse 15. Wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them, and after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over, he delivered him to be crucified. Jesus is condemned. Abbas in crucem, in Latin, you shall mount the cross. That's what Pilate says. And he's let out for crucifixion. What a scene, huh? Somewhere around 8.30, Jesus is on the cross by 9. And yet what comes next in verse 16 through 21, I think reveals the whole theme, the whole why Mark leaves out the details, why Mark puts in what he, what he puts in. And it's all about the mockery of the Son of God. If you would, verse 16. The soldiers took him away into the, the palace, that is the praetorium, and they called the whole Roman cohort together. They dressed him in purple. They twisted the crown of thorns. They put it on him. They began to acclaim him as saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They kept beating his head with a rod and spitting on him and kneeling and bowing before him. After they had mocked him, key words, they took off the purple robe and put his own garments on him and they led him out to crucify him. Now, if you... Have, we're paying attention earlier, or you know the, the crucifixion story, you know this is intentionally out of order. 
verses 16 through 19, the, the, the mocking took place before Jesus was condemned. In John, Pilate does it to try to convince the crowd to let him go, and it doesn't work. That's the, that's the sympathy appeal. Mark pulls it out and highlights it because it reveals what he wants us to see. So you have the, the pronouncement of condemnation in verse 15, and then verse 20, the chronology actually picks back up. The soldiers lead him, I'm sorry, uh, he's handed over to be crucified, and verse 20, after they had mocked him, they put a purple robe on him, and they led him out to, to crucify him. And I told you when we started, Mark has a purpose. And it's to show that Jesus is the Son of God, and that's what he's been doing. Mark emphasizes Pilate not finding any guilt, the crowd insisting on crucifixion, and the Roman conclusion that Jesus is a fool. And that's the highlight of the mockery. The Jews reject Jesus, not all of them, but the leaders as their Messiah, and the Gentiles dismiss Jesus as an imbecile. He's a joke. He's nothing to be concerned about or pay attention to. He's a crazy religious figure who has no bearing on my life. I think you can see that in Pilate's marveling over, his, over Jesus' silence. Pilate is amazed at Jesus' silence, not in the sense he's impressed. He thinks he doesn't understand what's going on. I mean, that's the point of his questions. Do you not hear what they're saying? Do you not understand I have the authority to crucify you? All of these are questions aimed at that direction. Do you not have the mental capacity to understand the dire condition that you're in? That's what he's saying. Mockery. Not taking him seriously. I think you can see it in his offer to release Jesus. Pilate actually tries to release him. He comes back to the crowd three times. Pilate would have never released Jesus if he thought he was a true threat. He's not a threat. He doesn't think he's the king. He, he, he thinks he's some crazy religious fanatic that's got the Jews stirred up. And finally, I think you can see it in the bold print in this mockery. I think Mark pulls this scene and highlights it because it's his point. Jesus is a joke to them. And after the scourging, Mark says 600 Roman soldiers have their fun with him. They crown him with thorns. They put the robe on him. The sarcastic, hail king. What do the Jews do? They rip their garments. They cry out blasphemy. They're rejecting Jesus theologically. The Romans are dismissing Jesus as foolish. Hail, king. Jesus is not condemned by the Romans. He was dismissed by the Romans. It's interesting, if you compare all four Gospels, there are seven accusations made against Jesus. He was a threat to the temple. He said he'd destroy it. He was an evildoer. He was perverting the nation. He was forbidding taxes to be paid to Caesar. He was stirring up the people, insurrection. He claimed to be king, rivaling Caesar. He claimed to be the... the Son of God. The only accusation they made... That was true, was number seven. He made himself out to be the Son of God. Because he was. And that's the reason he's being killed. 
Jesus' death had nothing to do with politics or geography or who was ruling where. It was theological. He was rejected as the Son of God by the Jews, just like the Bible said. He was dismissed as foolish by the Gentiles. But like there was a Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea who was a believing Jew who was called, there was also a Roman soldier who said, surely this man was the Son of God. And it's the same for you today. You will reject Jesus Christ on one of two grounds. You'll gag on Him theologically because you think you understand something about God. Or you'll stumble over Him as foolish. You'll reject Him outright. If you're here wondering, is this true and who He is, you need to understand that Jesus is not the one that's on trial. You are. (laughs) Just like these men were. The Sanhedrin and Pilate himself, they were the ones on trial. They think Jesus stands before them, but in reality it's the other way around. And you'll acknowledge Jesus as prophet and as king, as the Son of God, as king, and accept His priestly work, or you'll stumble over Him or dismiss Him as irrelevant. But make no mistake, what you do with Jesus Christ will determine how it will go for you for all eternity. One writer said, verse 12 is the ultimate question that every human has to answer. Look at verse 12. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with him who is called the king of the Jews? Everyone has their eternal destiny based on how you answer that question. Pilate? Everyone since. Who is he to you? Your treasure? Your pearl? Or God in your own image? Something that you reject or something that you stumble over? Who he is is revealed in his word. Let you bow with me.